Welcome to the Rural Births podcast. This podcast was created to record and share stories from the many rural women who have birthed, to allow them to voice their experience and learn from them. I want rural women who are pregnant, planning to get pregnant, or entering their postpartum period to feel supported and know that, although care may be via distance, there are options. Thank you for listening. This podcast is produced on you and country. We acknowledge the innate birthing wisdoms and traditions held by the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, the traditional custodians of this land. We remember the first women of this nation, the custodians of land and birth, who birthed on country in culture and tradition. Here, as we share in stories, stories of birth, preconception, pregnancy and postpartum experiences from remote, rural and outer regional communities, may we remember and stand for the cultural significance of birth, women's business and birthing on country. May we nurture and support women through this rite of passage as we hear of possibilities ignited and limitations created. May we share in the power of storytelling and memory as we listen and learn from these birth stories. And may we always remember the ancestral wisdoms belonging to the country these birth stories occur on today. Today's podcast episode is with Lindsay Hollingsworth from Yass in New South Wales. I first made contact with Lindsay after hearing our Prime Minister, Mr Scott Morrison, suggest that the Barton Highway upgrade might provide a solution to the women of the Yass Valley who currently feel the isolation and lack of maternity facilities in their local area and are forced into situations like birthing on the side of the Barton Highway. And so, with all that in mind, this question was posed. The member for Canberra. Thank you, Speaker. My question is to the Prime Minister. Women from the Yass Valley are currently forced to travel an hour to Canberra or Goulburn to give birth. As a result, a number of women have been forced to give birth on the side of the Barton Highway. Does the Prime Minister agree that that is unacceptable? The Prime Minister has the call. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Well, I'm pleased to let the member know that's why we've committed $150 million to upgrade the Barton Highway, uh, which includes the duplication of the highway from the ACT. Members on my left. I too found the proposal of a highway band-aid solution 
farcical. As myself, being a rural woman living along the King's Highway, I acutely understand the concern of birth before arrival or roadside birth. I made contact with Jasmine, Lindsay and Beck via Facebook. You can find them under the New Yass Hospital with Maternity Facebook page. And I asked them if they would be willing to share their rural birth stories and the journey that Yass as a community has been on so far. In today's episode, we focus on Lindsay's two births. Lindsay's first birth was at Calvary Hospital with a private obstetrician. She had completed the Calm Birth course and found these strategies useful on her drive from Yass to Canberra. She went into labour in the evening but was in for a long night and a powerhouse day before she would meet her baby. She trusted her body, however she came up against a lot of intervention pressure and so for her second pregnancy, Lindsay sought the support of continuity of care through the Canberra Birth Centre. Lindsay's long first birth had led her to anticipate that her second birth would also be long. It was not. Throughout her pregnancy, Lindsay had jumped different hurdles as she faced low pape, going over her estimate date, and being an older birthing woman. However, she was her ultimate advocate, and at just over 42 weeks gestation, she went into natural labour. But things moved too quickly. And driving along the highway, on their way to hospital, Lindsay told her husband he needed to pull over. They diverted off the Barden Highway and took place at a roadside stop, somewhat sheltered here with the ACT ambulance in attendance. Lindsay's daughter was born. And so here, Lindsay joined the ranks of many women who have birthed on the side of the Barton Highway. Tell me exactly what's happened. My wife's in labour. They say labour. Okay, all well, right, just, just uh, stay on the line with me. I need to ask some questions. How old is she? She's uh, 38. 38? Yep. Okay, and that's her I can hear. How many weeks or months pregnant is she? 42 one. Okay, can you see any part of the baby now? No, not yet. She's inserted a finger and only up to that second knuckle. Okay, and she's obviously having contractions. Yeah. Okay. And is this her first delivery? Second. Okay, and how many minutes are part of those contractions? Um, bugger all. So less than two minutes? Oh, is, geez, yeah. is there any serious bleeding? Is there serious bleeding? No. Is there, have her waters broken? Have your waters broken? I suppose. I don't know. No, no. okay. And is, does she have any high-risk complications? Look, we know of. No? Okay. We've organised the paramedics for her, okay? Tell her not to try to prevent the birth, okay? Yep. Um, just allow her to assume the most comfortable position and have her take deep breaths between those contractions. Now, yep. so you're located in the rest area? Yes, correct. In what sort of a vehicle? It's a Skoda Superb, grey-silver colour. Skoda Superb, grey yep. colour. Put your hazard lights on for me, okay? okay and you're definitely no on the southbound lanes. Yes, we are. Heading towards Canberra. What's your wife's name? Lindsay. L-I-N-D-S-A-Y. A-Y. Yeah. And surname? Hollingsworth. H-O-L-L. And what's her surname? 
Yep. I-N-G-S. Yep. W-O-R-T-H. And which hospital is she booked into? Canberra Hospital. Canberra? Yep. And it's her second delivery, and you said she was 40 weeks... Um, 42. 42. And one. Okay, all right. Now, we're going to have to start and do some stuff, Eamon, okay, before we get there. Is she in the back of the car or in the front seat? No, she's standing leaning on the door at the moment. Okay, all right. Have you got any blankets or anything with yes. you? Because this baby yes. could come before the paramedics yep. get there. I've yep. got you on the Barton Highway, Marlon Bateman, okay, at the Deer Creek Rest Area southbound. How far from Marlon Bateman are you? Uh, approximately about six kilometres. Approximately six kilometres from Marlon Bateman? All right, so have you got any blankets and towels? Yes. Okay. All right, so what I need you to do is I need you to get a blanket out on the ground or in the back of the car where the, yep. we, she can be most comfortable. She needs okay. to she needs to lay on, on her back in yep. the centre of that um, blanket or on the back seat. I'm going to help you, going to tell you how to help deliver the baby if it comes to that. Okay, so I need you to make sure that um, all the clothing below her waist is removed. Okay, raise her head with pillows, but don't let her sit up or um, move around. Okay? So, now what I need you to do is once you've done that, I need you to look and tell me how close the baby is um, to being born, okay? Okay. So tell me when you've done all that. So, and if you've got some dry towels and a blanket to wrap the baby, um, that wrap the baby in. So, if you've got anything that's clean and dry, okay. So, is it just the two of you, Eamon? So I'm Lindsay Hollingsworth. Um, I live in regional New South Wales in a place called Yass, and that's about oh, 50 minutes drive or so from the, the capital of Australia, Canberra. Now, who makes up my family? I have um, a husband and two children, a boy who turns 11 very soon and mm -hmm. a four-year-old little girl. Lovely. And did you always live rurally? No, so I moved out from Canberra with my yep. parents when I was mm, about 12. And so I've been out there for about 30 years Okay. Now. Well, that's quite a while. Age, I? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I kind of meant it's quite a while just because uh, for my next question, you would like know kind of the narrative of rural birthing because you'd been there for 30 years. Like what was your knowledge and experience of rural births before you yourself fell pregnant? So realistically, so yes, once had a maternity unit um, yeah. where birthing was done locally and it was closed. Um, and so all birthing was then either predominantly in Canberra. Yeah. So we had, um, you know, I guess from my knowledge of that, that there was a, you know, a chance, uh, realistically, a, mm. a small chance that um, you could birth on the Barton Highway. Yep. Um, but, you know, all, I knew that all of my appointments, everything like that was, was going to be, you know, in Canberra, um, that type of thing. Yeah. yeah. 
And so yeah. you know that there's that chance that you could birth on the Barton Highway, but at the same time, having grown, you know, had a fair part of your growing up in Yass, you also knew that it wasn't impossible to birth in Yass. So it's this kind of confused narrative of birth on a highway, you can't birth in Yass, but you used to be able to birth in Yass. And I think this is the rural birthing narrative for a lot of people where it's it, like, it is. It's possible, but not possible. Uh, exactly. And there has been, you know, the very small, you know, numbers that women have had to birth, you know, at Yass, um, you know, without a midwife, without an obstetrician yeah. in the ER room. Um, yeah. And, you know, that's a very different, you know, expectation of around where they would expect to be birthing or their yeah. you know, planned place of birth. And that, so that's, you know, that's a different whole different yeah. game that is... Yeah. And I've been told that if you're going to birth in the ER in a rural hospital, you better be crowning. Otherwise, they'll transfer you. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what about your own feelings about what birth should be like? Like, how did this vision of how birth had to be as a rural woman differ to your own feelings, understandings of birth? So... You know, birthing um, for me, it, it changed between children. Um, so with my first birth, it was very much um, not necessarily a medical event, but yeah. something that, you know, required medical assistance, if you like. Yeah. Um, whereas I educated myself um, in a very different way for the birth of my second, whereas I, you know, had the, the thoughts process of that it being very much a more natural process that sometimes needed medical intervention. Mm. Um, sort of, you know, my, my feelings around sort of birth itself with my first, I was pretty scared to be completely honest. Mm -hmm. And so then when it came to my second, because of the type of, you know, preparation that I did leading up to her birth, um, I had very little fear whatsoever. Um, so I guess it was more about how was I going to be supported where I was, how would I manage knowing from first birth, what my first birth experience was to my second birth experience, how would I manage the, the trip in, not going in as early as what I did with my first, mm. those type of things. So that was probably more of, of, of that side of things more so yeah. than, you know, particular I so feelings. many people would like connect with you on that because um, <laughs> there's your first birth, but you're not, you haven't already entered into that motherhood, that stage of matrescence. And then when you're heading towards that second birth, like even as someone who's not currently pregnant with a second or anything like that, but I already know it's like, no, that's different. And I trust this now. And I, I have opinions that I that. now feel <laughs> um, deserve to be heard. And I don't think Absolutely. I gave myself that as a first time birthing woman. And that's not mm. a rural thing. I think I just didn't trust myself. No, we, we put, I think, I think the risk is first time mothers we place in particularly, we place a lot of trust in the system. 
And I think that's definitely not isolated to, to rural births. Um, you know, it, it's very much just in general, you know, I'm going to say first time mums because, yeah. you know, we tend to, we do do a growth period and, and that type of thing where we don't, you know, we may not have that same level of trust, but we do tend to put that trust into the medical professions around birth and, and that sort of stuff rather than taking back our power and being actually, you know, being part of that journey rather than along for the ride yeah so mm. your first birth being a um birth where you were more like yep yeah, i i'm cool the medicalized version of birth let's go with that did you seek quite a bit of prenatal care like who was your prenatal oh, care through so I went private. I had opted. Yeah. I my first preference was to have a home birth, um, partly because of the location, partly because of the wanted to have continuity of care, that type of thing. Now the issue was is that at the time there was only one home birth um, midwife, private yeah. midwife, that was servicing the area, um, and. It was sort of, it really, realistically, it came down to financials in that um, I had private health insurance that would take, you know, a good chunk of my um, OB money, um, you know, that I was no longer out of pocket and that sort of stuff, um, particularly because this was when Medicare was much more generous in regards to their pregnancy management fee to what they are now. Okay. And... Um, Whereas when I looked at it from a financial perspective, from having a private midwife, it was I was you know 100% out of pocket. Back then it was about four and a half to five thousand dollars. And when I looked at that, what was really important for me was to be able to have time off post baby. So I was able to spend as much time with my baby postnatally that I sort of calculated. Well, that's such and that's so many months worth of mortgage repayments um and it's yeah. really important for me to be able to do that so that's what sort of i guess sort of you know put us down the path of having a private ob <clears throat> i did do research and um you know missed out on my first choice because there was a bit of a joke that he was very popular and you kind of had to had sex then call up saying that you're possibly <laughs> pregnant um yeah. and because i had done that at about seven weeks <laughs> i was yet no space in the end type yeah. of scenario and well, seven so weeks and no space. Seven weeks, no space, <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, so I went with my second choice. It was still quite a, a woman-centred, um, known for, you know, low intervention, you know, those type of scenario, but still a private obstetrician. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I went with them. So I had the standard care. I did do calm birth um, course as um, my birth preparation as well as the hospital course um, for childbirth. Mm -hmm. um, that was really it. So it was just sort of the standard sort of care. Um, I didn't sort of, I was quite, I didn't want interventions, you know, in regards to, because I had educated myself around things like, you know, the cascade of intervention and, mm. and things like that. Which calm birth is um, pretty good at talking about too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, very grateful for, for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess that's sort of my level of, you know, care providers and, and level of care or type of care mm -hmm. and preparation that I had for my first. And did you, um, I just haven't experienced uh, the private system. Do you still get midwife care throughout your prenatal care or is that something that's more a part of birth? So some um, 
private OBS do. In my private OB did not. Um, I had just private obstetrician. So then it was during birth, it was midwives that took care of me, if you like, mm -hmm. until yeah. there was um, a reason for, for them not to all birth was intimate. Yeah. Um, yeah. And was your OB able to make any accommodations for you in terms of distance and travel? Um, it, I guess it never really came up. There was this sort of that expectation that first time mum, chances are I would, you know, have a longish labour and wouldn't be necessarily an issue um, for me. Yeah. 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 So when yeah. you did go into labour in Yass, um, what did you do with your first uh, pregnancy? So with my birth? first, I sort of, um, I sort of had, you know, my first sort of contractions that were sort of recognised as contractions at about sort of 3.30 or so. I can yep. remember calling, um, that was PM, I can remember calling the birthing suite and saying, pretty set mum in labour. That was about, I think about sort of nine o'clock mm. at night. So that, about that point, that was sort of, you know, the, I mean, we're between sort of around four minutes apart. Yeah. And then um, they sort of said to me, look, you could be in for a long night, you're a first-time mum, go take some Panadol. Um, and try and get some sleep. Mm -hmm. I laughed at them um, <laughs> and <laughs> went, sure, that's going to work. Um, Thank you for this piece of advice. <laughs> exactly. Jumped into the shower, um, did attempt to get in, like, into bed, could not sleep. You know, Panadol did jack of nothing. <laughs> um, and then... Um, at about 11.30, woke up my husband and was like, no, I can't, this is not happening. It's increasing. They're now about three minutes apart. Um, I think it's kind of think that we, we need to sort of, you know, head in type of stuff because I didn't want to be racing in. Um, Can I ask in, you about that drive? Because you had done yep. calm birth and I am really interested in um, when people have that long, maybe the fact that it's a dark drive is a positive thing, but what did you do for yourself in the car? So I had um, earpods in and listened to my calm birth tracks at the time. Yeah. And that was, that was it until we sort of got there. Um, fortunately, it was, it was at night. So I was sort of that darkened, you know, space. Yeah. That was my trip in was with earpods, um, sitting in the front seat, the seatbelt on. That's what I can recall. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's cool. Like that's a really, you know, a good image in a sense that you can just pass that time. That is possible. Yes. Yeah. I certainly wasn't clock watching or, you know, anything like that going, can you drive a little bit faster or anything like yeah. that? <laughs> yeah. So you get to the hospital, then what happened? Yeah, so I get to the hospital. Um, I had a midwife that was not my favourite midwife, that's for sure. Um, I was discovered, so I had chosen not to have any vaginal exams at that point. Mm -hmm. It was about 5am, if I recall correctly, that I had said, can you please just give me a VE? Okay. And um, she did, and she says, yep, you're about five centimetres. Um, and Bub's posterior. And then I was like, eh, that's why I've got a whole lot of back pain. Um, so we had the gas, tried utilising the water in the shower, in the form of showers, because there weren't sort of baths. I'd been a private patient. It's a bit of an odd situation in Calvary Hospital. It, they no longer do private, but it was a public slash private hospital. And there was two 
birth suites at the end of the corridor that were supposed to be um, for private patients and they had baths. The room yeah. that I was put in we did not. Um, and I had asked when those rooms were available, can I please, because I'd really like to use the bath for the yeah. pain relief, particularly having a posterior bulb. Um, so that was one thing that was like not granted. Um, and then, you know, the midwife just wasn't particularly helpful around helping, you know, encouraging us like, is there anything that I can do to, to help turn baby? Um, she's like, well, you're really doing everything, you're on your hands and knees. Um, now, knowing what I know now, there's a whole lot more that she could have offered. Um, but yeah. I kind of feel like she was ready for a career change. Um, sure. You know, I thought maybe that was just because I was in labour, but I, yeah, no, it's not the case. <laughs> yeah, no idea. Um, yeah, yeah. And so then come sort of eight o'clock, I'd asked for another um, VE and I was about five to six centimetres, so really not much change. And so at that point, um, I was also asking, I, I need some other pain relief sort of option. Um, didn't necessarily want epidural, um, but knowing that I was already sucking pretty hard on the gas um, and didn't, definitely didn't want morphine or pethidine, that um, it was, it was, you know, the, the option that I had and they were also wanting to augment me, so pop me onto the Sintocin because I was failing to progress um and that so i got an epidural um bawling my eyes out and um knowing that potentially it could lead to you know increased chance of birthing in theater um and that and then fortunately with those two combination i was able to progress and at um just uh, probably about half past two, I had vomited um, and I had a gorgeous midwife with me then. And she says, Lindsay, you know, you haven't vomited for a while. Um, it can be a really good sign that you're now fully dilated. Can we um, do another vaginal exam? Now, I hadn't had a vaginal exam since I was, you know, around, around about that eight o'clock mark. Yeah. Um, and... And I was like, sure. So she and my husband helped me onto my back because I'd been laying on my side with the epidural so that she could perform that VE. And um, she said, she's like, whoa, I don't need to do a vaginal exam. Dad, come and have a look at your baby's head. <laughs> because my baby was crowning. And with the epidural, I couldn't feel a damn thing. Yeah. Um, so my body was, was you know, the, the fiddle ejection reflex had kicked in and, and yeah. it was starting to do that. Now, unfortunately, his heart rate was dropping and not recovering. Um, so he ended up being a vacuum. He was manually turned in a vacuum extraction so there were certainly things like for example delayed cord clamping wasn't then done even though it was sort of my wish um he was immediately clamped and sort of taken over to the um resus baby resus table there was no need realistically in hindsight for that to have mm. taken place but i guess it's just out of habit that you know we've got a baby that's on low heartbeats to to do that rather than wait for baby was crying and, and everything like that there was sort of yeah. more immediate rush to do that um so, yes, yeah, so that was, I guess, sort of my birth, um, you know, from his, from, you know, my first birth experience. Mm. Yeah. And it sounds like there's a lot of stuff that you took, in a sense, some time to work through and then consider what you would want in the future. Like, because you recognise a lot of that 
process, there's different points where you're like, this part was okay. And this part, I feel a little bit has gone in that yes. direction. Absolutely. And there was lots, I mean, I had a long time to sort of process that given that there's nearly seven years between our children, but it was, um, it, it was, you know, the sort of things that sort of were important was, was sort of being able to sort of, you know, like um, have continuative care. That was really important for the birth of my second um, so that I had a known midwife and it was going to be midwifery leg care, um, known midwife and that. Um, so they were the sort of, and, and then working on the headspace, the headspace stuff, because I really felt that it was the headspace stuff that, kind of got in my way in knowing what I know now, hindsight sort of yeah. good thing, that, um, you know, birth is realistically all about what's happening in your head. And um, you've found great kinship with hypnobirthing now. Is that correct? Yes, Yeah. correct. So I, um, you know, did hypnobirthing in preparation for, for her birth. And it's funny, you know, had it, it was suggested to me to do hypnobirthing, become an instructor um, some years ago now and... I sort of said, no, no, it's a bit too hippie for me. Um, we're not really up my alley. And then when I did it, um, and then the birth experience that I had with my daughter just completely, um, utterly changed my perspective around, you know, understanding of what hypnobirthing is, what hypnosis is, you know, how powerful the mind is, all of those type of things. Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, so did you reactivate most things for uh, your daughter's birth or did you um, change hospitals? Um, like I know so I you just, wanted midwifery-led care. Um, did that yeah. mean a change of place and change of OB and things like that? It did. So I would say Canberra has two um, hospitals, yep. um, one being Calvary. Now Calvary is closer to my location. So it's about a 40 minute drive in okay. um, or there's the Calvary, I'm sorry, or the Canberra hospital. Mm -hmm. Now the Canberra hospital is about 60 minutes. Yeah. Um, and that's so because the Calvary hospital at the time had just opened their birth center <clears throat> and, um, but they weren't taking New South Wales residents. It was only yeah. open to new ACT residents. So I had to then go to Canberra Centre, um, it's a Canberra hospital, and was the, I got accepted to the birth centre there. As a New South um, Wales resident? As a New South Wales resident. That's something cool. That, something that can't be done now. They've changed the rules. Okay, okay. Because uh, I know mm. there's a cheeky fib thing that people do now, which is like a wink, yep. wink, nudge, nudge. Everyone knows you're doing it, but... Exactly. Yes. Start working. <laughs> well, it's exactly the system. If it didn't have these issues, then there wouldn't people wouldn't be forced to do it. So yes. it's, yeah, it's <laughs> it's the reality of it. Um, so yes, yeah, so that's where I was intending to birth. So I had um, three midwives throughout my pregnancy. Um, one midwife. After my first appointment, I rang the manager, the numb, and said, I need another midwife. And she was like, oh, why is that? I'm like, oh, I'm just not clicking with this midwife. I'm just feeling like we're not on the same page. And that's really important for me, um, that type of thing. She's like, oh, but you've only had one appointment. I'm like, mm, I didn't care. Not having another. You better find another midwife. You knew what um, you wanted after your first exactly birth. Right. You came in hot. Exactly <laughs> right. Exactly. Ready to advocate. 
<laughs> yep. <laughs> and so then um, when I had my second, like my new midwife, um, she's like, yep, okay, I felt more comfortable with her and, and that sort of stuff. And then she left. <laughs> and so then I had my third <laughs> and I was like, okay, yeah, I think I can do this one. This And, yeah. and Jill was amazing, um, very, very supportive. So I, there was little things along the way, for example, like there was significant, there was um, a different date between my 12-week scan and my LMP um, and the hospital wanted to go on the, the scan and I'm like, no, I'm certain with my LMP. I can tell you when I ovulated, you know, very much you know, this is this. Um, so I stuck to my guns and she was very supportive about that. Um, even though she got questioned of, are you absolutely certain this woman knows her cycle? It's like, really? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so there was that. I was also a high risk through low PAPA, which is a hormone that's produced by the placenta. Um, so that can make you high risk for chromosomal issues, um, yeah. 13 and 18 as well as 21. But in our case, it was 13 and 18. Um, and once that was ruled out, the recommendation is to take, um, a hundred milligrams of aspirin a day. Um, that was something that I'd actually didn't feel particularly comfortable with taking a medication. And I'd actually experienced low pepe with my first pregnancy as well. So I kind of felt like it's just the way that our genetics, um, do things and, yep. and that type of stuff. So, um, you know, I had declined that. Um, I got to, so my first baby was born on his due date. Mm -hmm. um, and that, so in preparation for our second, I had done hypnobirthing and I had a really good relationship. So most of my, um, in fact, all of my appointments were in Canberra. Um, they, we did have at that point an outreach midwife in Yas. But because I wanted continuative care, I really just kept going back over to Canberra um, to, mm -hmm. to have those appointments with my known midwife. I thought that's can the, you whole, just the whole explain point of it. For people listening, what an outreach midwife is? So, an outreach midwife is basically it's a, a midwife that we, we campaigned pretty hard for in Yas um, to be able to have so our um, antenatal and um, postnatal appointments with that midwife locally because we don't have any birthing services. And so she was only she there two days a week as well. So she was um, in Yas Hospital, but okay. um, at the time was through Queanbeyan. So that was okay. one of the other New South Wales. So that was about an hour away from where we were as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um... And I think you said that um, you were over 35 with your second pregnancy yes, too. Yes, I was. So yes, you were getting a, <laughs> a couple of high-risk ticks in a sense of, yeah. So did Geriatric that <laughs> as well as um, distance, being rural. Um, did you have any kind of, I guess, limitations that people tried to project upon you? Because I know you went over oh, your due absolutely. date too. I definitely went over my due date. So um, I, at the 41 week mark, if you haven't had your baby, um, even through the birth centre, you have to have an appointment with an OB. Mm -hmm. um, fortunately, my midwife was able to pick what she thought was probably the one that would be most respectful of my um, thoughts, wishes, etc. 
And um, so I had that appointment. It was a 20 minute appointment. Both my husband and I were there. Um, that particular obstetrician didn't actually even introduce himself to my husband, which just got my husband offside almost immediately. Um, and he was sort of, you know, using fear and coercion to convince me to um, agree to be induced. Um, by fear and coercion, I mean like, you know, um, state making statements of, you know, you, it's 42 weeks, you double your risk of a stillborn baby. Mm. And, that, and what he was saying wasn't, it's not like it wasn't true. It's yeah. just that when we look at the particular figures, um, which he wasn't saying, that's less than 2%. So, um, yeah. you know, it's, it's a very low risk still. Mm. And while for some women that, that 2% is still too much and they would opt to go down the induction process. Um, but for myself, I felt that I, what I wasn't prepared to do was to have, um, you know, a, a birth that was kind of similar to my first um, with needing to have, you know, further intervention and that sort of stuff. And, yeah. you know, when he, he then said to me, um, all you'll need is um, artificial rupture of your membrane, so breaking of the waters. And I said, but you can't guarantee that. And then what would that mean for my, my birth? He said, well, then we would need to put you onto Sintos and I'm like, well, I'm not doing that. Um, Solid questions. You know, You're like, yeah, it, it is your right to interrogate you know, what is being said to you in a sense. Like, and mm -hmm. I don't mean interrogate as a hugely negative comment. I don't view it as negative. You know, you're going, okay, you're going to pull that card, which we know gets pulled at different times, like the stillbirth card. It's a scary card, but you're going, okay, yeah. give me the statistic. And then, okay, there's this pathway to move with that or this pathway. And now tell me what you're going to do following that if, that doesn't work out like you're exactly. absolutely following your right to be informed and no informed and that's the thing we need to be informed about these decisions you know all too often we hear that you know i didn't know i had a choice why didn't they tell me that bit of information those type of things and and so you know it was really important for me to to have those you know one to sort of um i guess kind of show that i had some knowledge um around you know that yes i understand that but type of thing mm -hmm. um and that now you know when i walked out of that appointment you know i still had there was a small amount of doubt have i done the right thing um all of those type of stuff yeah. still so you know to a certain extent i guess what he had said in regards to you know the scary things like stillbirth etc particularly when he found out that i had low pape on top of um, everything else that, you know, he was very much, um, you know, it still obviously played a little bit in my mind around yeah. my decision and was it the right decision and that type of thing. There was also things like, so policy is, is that if you haven't birthed by 42 weeks, you can no longer birth in the birth centre. Um, and at 42 weeks, you can no longer have a water birth, regardless on whether or not you're in, like you've, once you transfer, because you'll transfer from the birth centre through to birth, standard birth suite, um, yeah. and therefore can no longer have a water birth. Both of which were pretty, you know, strong on what I wanted in my birth and that as well. So it was, um, you know, pretty, you know, frustrating, you know, particularly when there's literally a few hundred metres between the birth centre in standard birthing suite at Canberra Hospital. Yeah. Um, so that was really frustrating that such a policy existed. 
Um, and that's, so yeah, so I agreed to monitoring every second day. So monitoring in the form of CTG. Um, they wanted me to also have an ultrasound and I said, no, I'm not having an ultrasound. Um, happy to come in for, for monitoring every second day. Yeah, which meant obviously a lot of driving to and from heavily pregnant. Yes. <laughs> um, I also, towards the end of my pregnancy, had monitoring every second day at Queanbeyan Hospital. Yep. So I, I understand mm -hmm. the... Yeah, um, <laughs> you do. <laughs> big, long drive. <laughs> and yes, you're getting hooked up to the CTG, you know. Um, I don't know. I just remember just so many days needing to stop after 20 minutes, half an hour to at a roadside toilet. Like I couldn't make the whole drive. <laughs> I was very fortunate. I must have this amazing bladder because I never went through the whole having to pee every 20 minute thing. <laughs> Congratulations. I yeah, think I that's very amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so it somewhat um, bursts the bubble, like the going surprise, because um, you did have a birth before arrival. But, I did. Um, that's something in Yas that you kind of already knew a bit about because this what if I birth before arrival for women in Yas it goes, well, there's, you know, Barton babies, <laughs> the babies That's born exactly of the right. Barton highway. <laughs> it is something exactly. that does happen. It's almost an exclusive happen. group. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, your knowledge of that being a possibility, how did that, frame your travel plans and kind of what did you have in the back of your mind as a contingency plan? So I guess um, two, one was I had two very different labours. So um, in the lead up to though, it was like, okay, um, we need some towels in the boot. We had my son's um, like bedwetting pad in the boot. Um, it was winter. So we had some blankets that type of thing. You had um, the ultimate hospital birthing hospital, yeah, like and station wagon birthing tools <laughs> bag. <laughs> exactly, and in actual fact, you know, one of the, one of one of my fears, although I had never had significant bleeding with my first, was that I would um, have significant bleeding slash hemorrhaging if I had birthed elsewhere. And that's so. I had a very amazing, um, very supportive GP. Um, because at the time the hospital didn't keep any units of syntocin, so the gas hospital didn't even keep syntocin to stop hemorrhage, to, to you know, hopefully wow. reduce hemorrhaging. Okay. Um, ambulances don't keep syntocin either, even in rural locations, they don't keep it. Does so it have a really I, short shelf life or something? Because no, nope. it needs oh. to be refrigerated, um, which is okay. one thing. But, you know, in a hospital, that shouldn't be an issue. No, we've got um, fridges. Yeah, we could manage exactly. a fridge. Exactly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so it doesn't make sense realistically. Um, now the hospital does um, through a whole lot of, you know, other lobbying type thing. Um, but they only keep, as to my knowledge, is two units, which is actually not a lot either. Mm -hmm. um, so I was really fortunate and, you know, explain my, you know, concerns to my GP and I said, I would really be appreciative if you supported a script so that I can get my own, um, I, you know, will be, have an ambulance on call if I need to, but, you know, I've, I've at least got the drug there. 
they so could potentially be life saving. Purchased your own. So I bag purchased of my own supply of Sintocin. So the wow. little vials, and I think from memory, there was five. It cost a hundred dollars. Yeah. <laughs> to be able to, to, you know, to have it. There's a just in case. Yeah. Um, and so and yes, what did so you do with it of, after? Like. I, Gave it to a private midwife. I said, I got nothing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's still in the freezer. <laughs> still sitting in there. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, cool. So wow, that really that is was, an ultimate birthing bag. <laughs> yeah, but it was, we didn't have things like, you know, um, I mean, we had a, a cord tie, but that's only because we wanted a crocheted cord tie rather than the hospital plastic clips. Yeah. Um, but our intention was to not to, to clamp anyway um yeah so I guess that was sort of you know it in regards to what did we have you know yeah. in, the, in the possibility because I never ever yeah. expected that we actually would my first and labor was 23 hours long had you so I didn't expect made contact with women who had had this happen to them before you birthed on the Barden Highway like they were already known yeah. to you Okay. So I had known um, Jasmine Jones, who yeah. was a big instigator to um, getting our outreach midwife here, yeah. and yes, that type of thing as well. So, and her yeah. story was she was in an ambulance um, where she birthed Bub and that type of stuff. Um, yeah. Again, you know, didn't make it to the hospital. She was still a good fifteen minutes from the hospital. Mm. Um, yeah. So. Um, that was at the time, and I think I may have known of one other, but not hadn't spoken to or anything like that. Whereas Jasmine, yeah. I, I knew her story, which yeah. in some ways helps just having like little pieces of information, little pockets of knowledge. Because this is very presumptive of me, but I don't know that there is a birth before arrival book um, out there. Um, I know I that so. there's <laughs> free birthing and there's home birthing books, but yeah, some someone there's a book there to write about birth before arrival and I reckon yep. rural women who are going to face the one to two hour drive would uh definitely be like oh yeah I need to hear all these different um stories and and how that yeah the positive yeah. stories and and that sort of thing and yeah absolutely because they sit in um, our minds it's that what if or this is a potential eventuality I mm -hmm. and it's just going uh, particularly first birth, it was like, I feel pretty unconscious to the whole thing anyway. But this, this is just another thing. Yeah, and, and we, except for the purchasing the Sintosin, we did have, you know, blankets and some towels in the boots yep. of our car for our first, just because it could happen. Yeah. And so if on the, slant, on the chance that it could, then we wanted to have something there if need yep. be. Um, so did I expect to really birth where we did? For the second time around, no. Mm -hmm. um, you know, labour. I literally had woken up on at forty-two weeks and one, and was like, oh, "I can't believe I'm still pregnant." Um, mainly because of the pressure that I was receiving from the system, not because yeah. I wanted my pregnancy to be over. Because I'm very blessed and have these incredible pregnancies, um, and. Yeah, so I was just like, I can't believe I'm still pregnant. Um, that means another trip over because at that point I was then daily CTG. Um, that means another and trip no over. longer able to go me. through the birth centre because you'd reached 42 yeah. on one. Weeks. That's yeah, hard. Exactly. 
It was. I'm no longer going to have a water birth, you know, because there will, there will most definitely be meconium, was what he said to me, um, at 42 weeks. Um, and I wonder what yeah, the statistic so, is on that one, because, like, I, I say, didn't know. I don't no, know. <laughs> but just the language, um, being yeah. an English teacher going you know, almost very low modality word, but definitely very high modality word. It's like, oh, it's very manipulative phrasing. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I might actually go and look at that because that's got me curious now. <laughs> <laughs> so you woke um, at 4 a.m. Um, early no, labour. No, it wasn't even 4 a.m. So okay. I was, no, I, was, I wasn't in labour at all. So it was literally, I think it was just after 7.30. After 7.30. Or so. 7.30 in the morning, I woke up and I was like, oh, God, I'm still in labour, but I'm starving. I'm going to go and okay. make breakfast. Um, yeah. We had dropped off my son because we had a late CTG appointment in the afternoon. We dropped off my son at my parents the night before and he'd stayed there at the grandparents. And that. so I was like, I was starving. So I thought, I'm going to make myself breakfast, had a yeah. bowl of porridge. Um, husband was still asleep. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm not hungry anymore. And I started having some contractions and I was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have eaten breakfast because I uh, vomited a lot with my first. And I was like, oh, um, yeah. and I was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have eaten breakfast. And I timed them. So it was just after eight um, and they were just over three minutes apart. <laughs> and what were they feeling like? Um, I could talk through them. Yeah. Um, but they were sort of lasting about that 45, 50 seconds at that point. They were intense. I guess I could have talked through them. I just sort of went inwards and, and didn't. Um, and I sort of spent sort of time sort of leaning over, given that there were that sort of consistency in that, um, you know, in my kitchen, just sort of using the bench sort of, you know, to squat from um and sway and move and, and that sort of stuff and then I decided that I wanted to have a shower um because obviously it's labor day and I didn't have one last night and I want to have one before I go and so yeah. got my went to my husband and said um it's, I think I'm in labor um I'm gonna go have a shower enough time for you to wake up so you can put the tens machine on mm. um jumped in the shower have I don't know I had a few while I was in there and um, came back out in hindsight, that's when I was in transition, um, but didn't recognise it at the point yeah. because I couldn't even get dressed um, mentally, not physically, but mentally, just couldn't even get dressed. Um, and I called the midwife and, and it wasn't, it was my backup midwife because my other midwife was in training that day. Um, and I'd said... I'm in labour, they're coming three minutes apart. She heard me have at least one um, mm -hmm. surge and she said to me, Lindsay, if you feel the need to push on your way in, you need to stop and call an ambulance. And I was like, yep, yep, okay. we'll see you there. And, um, you know, I was, I was naked when I had that conversation and I had, um, at that point, my, my mental, you know, talking to myself was like, Lindsay, you just need to get some clothes on. Um, it's completely okay to birth naked, but probably not the trip in, um, given, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's truck drivers and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Um, and apparently I heard the other day that it's actually illegal to be naked while driving or a passenger in the car. I'm like, oh, see, that's a good choice to get dressed. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> okay. Um, because apparently it can be quite distracting to other drivers. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, oh, I guess so. Apparently. Um, <laughs> <ooh>. <laughs> so I had gotten, my husband was already thinking, not that he communicated this, we didn't talk about, you know, this till a very long time after. And um, apparently at that point, he was sort of thinking, I don't think we're going to make it. Um, and was already sort of, you know, in his head, where's good spots to pull over, you know, that type okay. of thing. And um, how did he come to that decision about... Things like, had progressed very quickly. It? Yeah. I think it was, you know, from what he said, it was just that things progressed quite quickly compared yeah. to our first. At the same time, I was also thinking that I went in about these type of timings and intensities of contraction with our first, and I didn't have him for another 14 hours. So yeah. <laughs> in my head, I was in a completely different thing. So, you know, working through previous births is really important before, mm-hmm. you know, birthing your, your next. Um, so got so into you're the getting car. dressed and he's thinking, where are we going to stop? He's packing the car. Yeah. yeah. And he's thinking, where are we going to stop? Um, I, we hop into the car, get going, um, and just 15 minutes from home, um, Canberra side of Murrum Bateman, I said, I think you're going to have to pull over. I think I can mm. feel baby's head in my vagina. Um, at that point, there's nowhere to pull over um, yeah. because it's guardrails all the way. Mm. Um, and then, like, and so it was, we stopped at G Creek Rest Area. Which, which is a little you'd bit had in your off. head, hadn't you? Like that that rest area could be a point to go. Because I've quoted you on that as well to be like, that is a hot tip. Rural birthing women, know your rest areas. Know your rest areas. Absolutely. It's yeah. so, so important. And this particular rest area is one of the better ones in that it's got like a dog leg to get off. And it's like, I wouldn't say it's a long way off. You can certainly still, you know, the traffic's nice and yeah. clear. But um you know, it's not right next to the road where you've got traffic you know, zooming past. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, so I got out then and I did, in fact, check. Um, and, yes, baby's head was well down in the vagina. In fact, I could feel her head um, up to my, my second knuckle. So she was not yeah. had, didn't have much further to go till she was crowning. Yeah. And I said to my husband, yes, I can feel baby's head. Okay. And he said to me, would you like me to call an ambulance? And I'm like, yes, it's the right thing to do. You know, it wasn't so much that I felt like I needed it. I felt like it was the right thing to do. Um, so he and what was the environment like for you? So you're in the back um, of the station wagon. <laughs> not at that point, I wasn't. Okay. Um, at that, it, I was, so I got out of the car still and I was um, having contractions. They were pretty close then at that point. I'm presuming about a minute or so apart. Yeah. Um, and Did you have the rest like, area to yourselves? At one, for a little while. Okay. Nope. <laughs> 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 and we had, um, so yeah, I'd sort of, you know, had surges there. He's calling. So I was just sort of standing at the, and using the car door as a support. Mm-hmm. Um, and he called Triple O, and because we were in New South Wales, it went through to New South Wales call centre. Okay. And um, she was telling me New South Wales have a very scripted, like, record, like, you know, scripts to follow in particular circumstances. Um, and so the woman there was sort of saying, you need to... Um, you need to get your wife onto the... So she's laying down um, on her back so you can tell me um, when baby's head is crowned. And I'm like, I am not getting on my back, <laughs> yelling. That's a pretty old-school script. Come on. Absolutely it is, you know? 
I, I've just told you that I can feel baby's head in my vagina. I think I can tell you when my baby's crowning. Yeah. Um, and anyway, and so I said that several times because she kept repeating it because that's what the script says. Yeah. And um, my husband's like, don't worry about it. She can't see you. So he set up the piddle pad in the boot. And he, like, unfortunately, we had a station wagon. Um, yeah. In the boot. Another hot tip. Get yourself a station wagon. So station you can wagon. Not- <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, Yes, we had the blanket down and that sort of stuff. Um, we, um, at that point, my husband had asked at some point, can you, is there an ETA on the ambulance arrival? And um, the triple O officer said, um, I haven't got an ETA. Um, we've had to send, we don't have a New South Wales ambulance um, near your location to send to you. Um, we have to send one from Canberra. So that then meant um, the communication, it was, you know, a bit like Chinese whispers then. So our our triple O officer was passing on information to ACT's triple O, who was then, it was a bit of backwards and forwards. Yeah. Um, But not long after that, my husband said, it's okay, I can actually see the ambulance um, now coming around the corner and that to us. Okay. at that so point, about what time was, was this? Like, is this like in the, the middle so of the, the day? Morning, it was, yeah, so it was in the morning. So she was born yeah. at ten twenty-five. So it's, okay, yeah. Considering 10, that you woke up at seven thirty, this is this has happened quick. Yeah. So her total length of time labour was two hours twenty-five minutes. So very different. So one tenth yeah. in length compared to my first. Yeah, very different. Yeah. So yeah, when the ACT paramedics arrived. Um, you know, they sort of came up and said, um, so we're having a baby. And I said, yep, we're having a baby. Um, I said, she's crowning. Um, I had a few contractions, sort of, you know, why they sort of waited. She said, oh, look, if, if Bub's not here in the next 10 minutes, we'll get you in the ambulance and we'll start heading in. I said, no, no, Bub will be here before then. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, she, I said, no, we're not, um, you know, said, oh, one of the officers said to another, said to the other, go and get the birthing kit. Um, and I sort of said, we're not cutting, clamping the cord. And one of the officers said, that's okay. This is your show. You tell us what you want. Go and with them. that, I just completely relaxed. Oh, it was such a different experience yeah. to what I'd heard <laughs> with, yeah. um, you know, New South Wales Ambulance. And that's Particularly so saying as well, um, in your first birth, like you'd been in tears, getting an epidural in your back to then have someone say to you, this is your show. It's like, mm. oh, yeah, I'm absolutely was, was. some pretty different circumstances, but thank you. Yeah, that's what I needed yeah, to do. exactly. It was that I didn't have to fight because I felt like I guess that I had, had fought the system with, you know, with declining, you know, induction, um, you know, mm-hmm. deciding not to take, you know, aspirin, you know, now, you know, now 42 weeks and one, not being able yeah. to, to have my water birth that I had wanted and, and things like that. Um, so, yeah, to hear that I didn't have to fight their policy was a huge sense of relief. And um, birth, her, her head came out. Um, they sort of said, if you just want to give another push, and I said, no, I'm going to wait till the next contraction. Um, and then she slid out. Um, they caught her because I was right on the edge. I was kneeling on my knees right on the edge of the boot. 
Um, and I sort of took her back and she, and they said, I said, can you give him my baby, please? And she said, that's okay. We're just um, taking the cord from around her neck. And I said, oh, that's, nuchal cords are really common. Can I just have my baby? Yeah. Um, and yeah, so they gave me Bob and then, yeah, we just sort of, I, th I, I got myself over to the, um, like the ambulance gurney and and were you still dressed myself. like had you just thrown a dress on to travel to the hospital or something so i had as i'd taken my, my tracksuit pants off so i had tracksuit pants on the top so i'd taken yeah. my tracksuit pants off and now i can remember them sitting i think before i got into the boot yeah. i still had my top on and it was a really horrible drizzly winter's day um yeah i, I meant to ask what season like, this was <laughs> Winter, winter. And it was about seven degrees, Solid. Um, like <laughs> top temperature. So I think it was like probably four or something like that at the time. Yeah. Um, we do cold well down this end of the world. We do. <laughs> <laughs> and so my husband had kept the heater going. He'd moved the car. It was quite windy. So he'd moved the car. So yeah. the front of the car was facing the wind. So I wasn't getting, yeah. wasn't getting blown in and that sort of thing. Um, Smart dude. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, you know, one thing I knew absolutely I could rely upon him um, mm. if we birthed away from hospital. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Had there been much hospital, talking about that before? Um, I think, I think a little bit in the fact that I had sort of said, you know, do I need to employ a doula? Um, you know, I, I feel like that I, I couldn't rely upon you in my first birth. Um, and so I felt that that, and I understand why that was the case and, and things like that. It wasn't, and he's one first one to go, he was shit during the birth of our son, um, in regards to support. <laughs> but, um, and I said, I need to understand, I need to know, because this is really important to me because I won't be able to communicate what I need. Um, you know, that type of thing. And I, I just want somebody to go, who knows me to go in and, you know, do what I need. Cause I'm the sort of person that I'm the fixer in our, you know, in our life and the solution finder yeah. and all of that type of stuff. Um, so, yeah, so, fit. but I also knew that he would step up um, and in a out of a norm situation. So he spent 15 years in New South Wales fire and rescue. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I think some of that training of, you know, kind of kicked in type of thing as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we then, I made our way into hospital. Um, How it was the, the ambulance hospital. transfer? It was fine. Like they, they were, we were having a general chit chat. We found out one of the ambos knew like our, our family and, and all of that type of thing. So it was yep. pretty casual. Was, you know, and they kept called, your had, placenta attached. Nothing like that. Um, I had some issues when I got to the hospital. So they took me in up to birth suite. It wasn't the hospital that I was supposed to birth at. So it was Calvary, so the closer one. Okay. Um, and I had Bub on me. Um, my husband wasn't in the room then. I had two midwives, two ambulance officers, and I had two obstetricians walk in. Um, mm -hmm. One obstetrician introduced herself and the other one didn't. And I said, and who the hell are you? Um, and More I... More nice advocacy. Then, Good. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and they introduced themselves then, funnily enough. And then um, the 
female obstetrician, you know, was talking around me instead of asking, so the placenta is still in situ? Yes. Um, you know, blood loss and the paramedics said approximately 80 mils. And um, the, she then spoke to the midwives and said, can you please draw up such and such mils of syntocin? And I said, no. I said, no, I'm having a physiological third stage. And she said to me, and I'd gotten myself and my baby still attached to the placenta and me over from ambulance to hospital bed. Um, and I said, no, I'm having a physiological third stage. And she says, well, our policy is that you need to have birthed the placenta within an hour. And she looks at the clock above the bed and goes, and it's been an hour. I'm like, that's okay. That's your policy. But um, unless you can give me a reason, um, then I'm having a physiological third stage. And she says, well, you could be bleeding behind the placenta and, and we wouldn't know it. And we would have to take you down to theatre, give you a general anaesthetic um, and deal with that. Um, and I said, but there's no signs that that's happening. Um, and she says, no, not currently. And she, I said, well, then I'm, I'll have, I'm waiting for a physiological third stage. And she got quite huffy um, and said, and how long will you wait for? I said, well, at least half an hour. I've just birthed on the side of a road. Um, yeah. I got quite cold, you know, also on the way in. Um, and I don't think that was shock. I just literally think that I was naked um, and ambulances don't have blanket warmers. <laughs> so yeah. those cotton blankets were particularly warm. <laughs> um, and that. so, yeah, she got quite huffy, turned out turned around and, and walked out. It would um, not be surprising that your body was like, I'm just going to hold <laughs> on to this placenta while we get to the hospital. I've done this mm-hmm. part. It's I just got to hold exactly. on to this. Your There's body no does that. That's, exactly. Yeah, animals, they say stories about how animals are birthing in the wild and a predator comes along and they're like, whoop, I'm going to hold on to yep. this baby and go this, find a safe space. Safe space again, exactly. And we're, and we're mammals, we're no different. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so then um, I sort of said to, um, no, one of the more senior midwives goes to the, she was only a recently graduated student, and she sort of said, I don't think you need me in here. I'll come back. You let me know if you need me. And so I said to the student, the, um, sorry, the, the other midwife said, can you please help me up onto my hands and knees? I think I want to birth the placenta. And onto hands and knees, gave a gentle push, and there was the placenta. Um, whole, complete, and my total blood loss was 250 mils. Yep. which is very low. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think I, I might have lost half a litre and they still said that that was reasonable. Like, yes. 250 is, um, yeah. <laughs> it's not Good. much when you think about it for a cup of flour. <laughs> yeah, and it particularly sounds like as well, you just needed them to go away. <laughs> and then it was like, okay, and now we can birth the placenta. Exactly. I'm here now. Husband's here. Um, we're good type of thing. Yeah. 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 And, and I your guess, baby you know, was with you the whole time? kind the of. The whole time. Yeah. The whole time. Um, we didn't actually didn't end up cutting her cord until we um, left hospital. So we left hospital about six hours post-birth. Um, okay. I actually couldn't wait to get out of there. Um, mm. and you had such a welcome. They, <laughs> exactly. I'm like, I just want to go home. Um, there's no reason to 
I'm not sick. There's no need for me to be here. I, I yeah, I don't, I don't need to be here. Um, and so, yeah, we cut, only cut her cord, um, I think about half an hour or so before we, we left. Mm. Um, and that, yeah, yes. So when you were birthing um, at the kind of roadside stop, did you kind of put your hypnobirthing stuff into practice still, even though you were in less than ideal circumstances? Like, did it help you maintain and cultivate space? Absolutely. And it was, um, you know, I was calm the whole time. My, the only time that I ever had any discomfort, so I had a very comfortable birth. Um, and the only time that I actually had any discomfort was the first time she started crowning. And, um, I said, ow, 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 sting, 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 um, and then proceeded to laugh because that's certainly not how um, my birth, that part of birth is, is normally perceived. And that laughter gave me a natural, you know, boost of endorphins and our endorphins yeah. are natural pain relievers. So, you know, that was the only time I actually had any discomfort um, was that very first time she started crowning. And, and that was it. You know, I remember sort of looking out and in this particular um, paddock where we were sort of thing behind the rest area it's full of gum saplings and and that type of thing and I'm like well mm. you know this isn't a bad place to birth no um, it actually sounds sort of, you know, quite nice like was, I'm sure I'm having a romantic vision of it but like, like <laughs> yeah, that you said it got public at certain times like it was not you know we got to close off the rest area and have it to ourselves <laughs> no no definitely not we had we had it we had somebody come in um, they got out for a cigarette break and um, I was pretty vocal. Um, that's one thing yeah. I was, I was very vocal. Um, and if that was me, I probably would have been a little bit curious had I heard the type of vocal noises that I was making to just come over and go, is everything all right? But I don't think um, they could have finished their cigarette quick enough <laughs> to get out of there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was just, you know, the whole thing, you know, my mindset was so different. Um, instinctively that I was just breathing through each one, I would say to myself, you know, my surges are not stronger than me because they are me, which was something very different to my first where I felt like they overpowered me even before mm. I had the um, syntocin. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, that wasn't something that I had planned. It was just something that subconsciously I'd literally repeated to myself at the start of each surge um, with her birth. And it was just, it was very, it was just very, very different um, around it. You left that birth with really positive feelings about that experience. Mm. Like, so did my husband. It wasn't it, just me. <laughs> yeah. Empowering, yeah. strong, capable. Like these are kind of the stuff that you have drawn from Yes. What was a really unexpected and very different birthing experience. And I can hear that from all the advocacy you did for yourself that like you were definitely a powerful force, you know, throughout yeah. your pregnancy journey. But yeah, would you tell yeah. us a bit about kind of coming, I guess, not down, but maybe the continuing to rise up after having given birth on the Barden Highway? Yeah. So I guess, um, you know, I would tell absolutely anybody and everybody that was willing to listen um, to, you know, really start to, to normalise that 
you know, birth didn't need to be scary, um, that birth didn't necessarily need to be um, painful as well. Um, my husband was the same. He would literally tell anybody that gave him five minutes, um, you know, complete strangers that he'd never met, even people on the phone. Um, it was mm. incredible. I was like, you're telling him that, oh, okay. <laughs> um, and I think because he was just so in awe and so in, it's such, you know, a, such a positive, incredibly positive experience, um, you know, for him as well. But, you know, from there, I guess that it's just sort of, you know, growing for me that, you know, changing the way, you know, women birth, you know, advocating for, you know, the reopening of, you know, birth suites and, and things like that in rural and regional locations. Um, you know, I actually now even teach hypnobirthing to women so that, you know, um, more women can be empowered, not necessarily to birth on the button highway, um, but to be, you know, part of that, own that journey, um, you know, take back the power, you know, I guess you could almost sort of say that's our birthright to be able to, mm. um, you know, birth and, and to have our partners to be supportive and, and to be our advocates because sometimes we can't advocate for ourselves. Um, yeah. So it's important. We have somebody who is able to do that on our behalf in those situations. So I guess, you know, from that perspective, you know, coming down, I was like, what can, what, what can I do so that, you know, women aren't fearful of birth, that, that type of stuff. And I guess that's what sort of brought me to, to teaching hypnobirthing classes. Mm. Um, was exactly that because um, the one thing the ambulance guys when we met up with them about eight weeks after you know they sort of said you know the best thing about you guys is that both of you were just so calm you know there wasn't this sense of urgency there wasn't this um, you need to get us out of here we can't birth here that type of thing mm. um, it was like yes this is happening um, it is what it is you know we just need your support type of thing yeah um you know which he says which just made their job so much easier um as well because they weren't dealing with somebody that was you know fueled with adrenaline um and you know, adrenaline in, in is a, the enemy in terms like, absolutely it you is. need a little absolutely you need a little um but just, you don't want to let it override everything that's it <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly just as bugs being born that's what helps them take their first breath but yeah. um you know but that's that's it. And I, I guess, you know, knowing, you know, what I know now around, you know, the headspace stuff, knowing that, you know, up to one third of, of women, you know, describe their birth as traumatic, um, you know, and particularly what this week is birth trauma week. Um, and yeah. so it's, you know, it's really, yeah, I think that's, that's so sad that you know one third of women describe their their birth as traumatic and so i guess you know it lead led me to to teach to empower um to believe and in, to believe in, in the so that women can believe in themselves yeah. and to know that they they're partners and that so yeah i guess that's it and and really helping rural women understand that you know yes we, we may not have a hospital that's, that's 15 minutes down the road, but, you know, we can still prepare for this incredible life event of birth. Um, it just looks different to those that have, you know, hospitals close by. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I, mm. And I will get you back on at some point as well so that we can explore um, hypnobirthing in a bit more detail, but also um, going into kind of that huge journey of advocacy and how that's just going off. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, and there would be so many stepping stones and pieces to that puzzle uh. that it would uh, be incredibly complex, but I really look forward to hearing about that more in the future, but like hot tips for now, absolutely from yourself. And you've modeled that advocacy so beautifully. Like there's <laughs> just, I feel imbued with confidence <laughs> whilst also knowing that I should be really prepared by packing a bit heavier, knowing my road stop, roadside stops and um, yeah. that in a sense, there's no perfect answer about when to leave, regardless of if you're a city no. or rural woman. Um, no. But once you know where to stop and you've got the stuff you needed in order to stop, just know who to contact. And um, also a hot tip about knowing um that you can advocate for things like we are delaying cord clamping. We are doing this even in the yeah. ambulance when their process or procedure might be different. Exactly. Exactly. And when we also need to, I guess, you know, and this is certainly a, a downside of, um, you know, to my knowledge, all of the ambulance services nationally is that there's very little time actually spent on training for childbirth. Mm. Um, and I guess that's because it's, it's such a small number of call outs per year but it's also a really important part of, of life where, you know, women need to, to feel comfortable with, you know, how yeah. things are going, all of that side of things. Um, yeah, so it's, it's one of those things, I think, is, is sort of understanding, um, having knowledge. Knowledge is really powerful. Mm. So having knowledge um, can help you, you know, prepare, um, advocate and yeah. then empower, you know, for And it birth. sounds like there's a real kind of, Thing, even when you don't know the answer um, that you always maintained your right to interrogate the statement mm. that was made it's like okay well give yeah. me the I don't I want to know the piece of evidence and okay now I want to That's, know the pathways and I want to know the benefits and I want to know the risks and I want to know exactly what happens if exactly. we do nothing mm -hmm. yeah exactly and it's so, so important to help you make those informed decisions because unfortunately I think that, you know, a lot of care providers forget um, that, you know, mothers aren't generally speaking medically trained. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing is, is that, you know, this is their care provider's day job, you know, this is their day in and day out. And the same thing that unless we're training somebody in our day job, we often forget the details that are really important and that sort of stuff. Yet yeah. when we've got, you know, I'm birthing potentially a pregnant or a birthing mother, you know, needing to make decisions. Um, we, you know, it's our right to have all of the answers type of stuff so that we can make those informed decisions, you know, that's right for us and our baby, which will be different to the next woman, which will be different to the next woman, etc. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I will um, be thank sure you. as well to link your business Instagram website, those details thank you. in the show notes, awesome. because I, I do think as well, uh, connecting with practitioners who are training in the birth preparation, who offer training in birth preparation, um, to have rural women doing that is really empowering mm. um, yeah. because you've got a perspective, you've got a vision around what it's like. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, 
And if someone comes to you and is like, this is a hopeless case, you can be like, well, no. <laughs> it's No, it's not actually. Yeah. <laughs> you can find your power even in what appear to be disempowering circumstances. Yes, exactly. get in touch with Lindsay, to participate in her hypnobirthing training or to work with her as a doula, you can contact her via Instagram or her website, New Beginnings Birth. Lindsay's own births showed her the innate power of women and the power in being informed. So she now works actively with other women to show them that they can hold that for themselves too. Thank you to Lindsay for opening my eyes to the possibilities, even in the most adverse circumstances, such as birthing on the side of the road. If you would like to share your rural birth story, please get in touch on Instagram at rural underscore births or via email ruralbirths at gmail.com. And again, thank you so much for listening to today's episode.